And so this year we are again following the narrative lectionary. Scriptures intentionally chosen spanning the arc from September to June that tell the one story of Scripture all the way from Genesis to, to the end of the New Testament. And we're in our third week, and we find ourselves again in the book of Genesis, the 39th chapter, beginning at verse 1. Hear now God's word for us this day. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and with him there he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome and good looking. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, with me here, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph, to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled. He ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her until his master came home and she told him the same story saying the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to insult me but as soon as I raised my voice and cried out he left his garment beside me and fled outside when his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him saying this is the way your servant treated me he became enraged and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. 
He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. This is the word of the Lord. And let us pray. God, we thank you for your words to us this day, a a story that some of us haven't heard in a long time or perhaps have never heard, the kind of story that we don't typically hear in church when we gather in worship. But it's a story, God, that reveals your truth to us, the truth of your promise, your faithfulness, your love. And so with humble hearts, Lord, we pray again, asking for your spirit to continue to move among us. Speak to us, Lord, in ways we will not miss that message that you would have us each hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but I have a friend who has a wonderful habit of showing up when I need a friend the most, of showing up when things in my life are at their worst. And part of what makes it so unusual is that he often shows up without me reaching out to him, without me calling or or texting or in some other way suggesting we get together. There was a time I was dealing with some concerns, some issues that I was worried and anxious about. And that very day, I received a phone call from him. He lives in a different state. We sometimes go many months without talking or seeing each other. But somehow, by God's grace or by some instinct of his as a dear friend, he reached out to me on that very day. There was another day when I was discouraged and uncertain. To say it was a hard week would put it mildly. And he appeared unannounced in the church house across the street. He stuck his head into my office, a a beaming smile on his face. He said, hey, Dennis. He was in town unexpectedly, and he wanted to surprise me. There have been other moments over the years where I found myself at some difficult place. There were decisions that needed to be made, conflicts that I was striving to resolve, loved ones I had great concerns about. And more times than I can count, and I'm not exaggerating a bit of this, this friend showed up. Oh, he was there for the best of times, too. Moments of celebration, like my graduation from seminary, my ordination as a minister right here in our church, the the day that we were married. But what really strikes me as I look back on my life is how frequently and unexpectedly he showed up with grace and with love at the worst of times. A theme that is evident in scripture, a thread throughout all of the Bible, is God's fidelity. 
God's faithfulness. God's love, God's love for us that causes God to show up at unexpected moments and by unanticipated means and to do so again and again. The theme that God is with us during all the moments of life, the mountaintops and the valleys, the best of times and the worst of times. The idea of covenant has been evident in the narrative lectionary scriptures during these recent weeks. A covenant is a sacred agreement, a mutual promise between God and God's people. It's about being in relationship together. Two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Noah and the flood and how after the flood, God promised to be faithful and merciful, his commitment to all of creation and the sign of the rainbow that he gives is a sign of that commitment, that covenant. Last week, we looked at the story of the call to Abraham and his promise to make him many descendants, to lead him, to be with him as he responds to God's call. There's, of course, a lot of the story of Genesis that we have skipped over since last Sunday. Abraham and Sarah have had a son named Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah have had sons of their own, one of them named named Jacob. Jacob and his wife Rachel have 12 sons, one of which is Joseph. And what quickly becomes evident is that of those 12-plus children, the father favors Joseph. God, it appears, favors Joseph. God gives him the ability to have rich and vivid dreams, to be able to interpret the message and meaning that God is sending us through those dreams. The brothers reach a point where they've had enough of Joseph. They sell him to slave traders who take him to Egypt. He's sold there to Potiphar, who was an officer in the Egyptian army. And that's where this morning's passage in Genesis 39 begins. That's where the story of covenant, the story of God's promise to be faithful, God's promise to show up, it continues. Joseph earns Potiphar's trust and respect. He's entrusted with all kinds of important responsibilities that would not usually be given to a slave. The text says at least three times, the Lord was with him. Powerful and significant words. Let them sink in for a moment. The Lord was with him. And as the story continues, Potiphar's wife tries unsuccessfully to seduce Joseph. She accuses him of being the one to have crossed the line. As another sign of how manipulative she is, she says to her husband, you are the one who brought this foreigner into our house. He's your servant. It's it's your fault. Her husband believes her and throws Joseph into prison. Even while in prison, the text tells tells us that the Lord is with Joseph. He found favor in the sight of the chief jailer. He was given all kinds of responsibility and trust. The Lord was with him, whatever he did, unexpectedly. In that setting, the Lord made it prosper. 
Joseph is one of the most fascinating characters in all of the Old Testament. There's much more of his story that is to come. And what strikes me about Joseph's life is how faithful God is to him. Amidst the twists and turns, the mountaintops and the valleys of his life. He finds himself a favored son in a position of power and privilege. And then in the blink of an eye when his brothers have had enough of all the attention and the praise that he's getting, he is a foreign slave. Someone who appears to have lost it all. No hope. No future. And during all of it, favored son and foreign slave, God is faithful. While being praised and honored and during pain and hardship and loss, God is present. God is faithful. God shows up with God's grace not only at the best of times when God's favor and blessing are often much easier to spot, but at the worst of times. It's true for Joseph, and if we'll but slow down enough and open our eyes enough to see God's presence and grace in our midst, it's true for us. God shows up with God's grace at the worst of times when things are at their lowest. In your experiences of pain and loss and hardship, have you experienced that promise? Have you experienced God's presence, God's unwavering love for you? Have you experienced it when you've been in the valley? when you have been surrounded by darkness and discouragement. Maybe for you it happened during a divorce. Your marriage came to an end. It was not the path you wanted. It was not what you had planned for your future. But in the midst of it, God showed up. Maybe for you it was during an illness you received a diagnosis. The doctor spoke words to you that you felt were like a bad dream. Yet somehow in the months that followed, you came to know God's love in your life like you'd never known it before. Maybe for you it was during a season of emotional or spiritual struggle. A time of depression or anxiety, a spiritual dark night of the soul, a time in your life where you weren't so sure anymore who you were or where you're heading. Yet somehow, unexpectedly in that moment, God showed up. God was present. God brought healing or hope or reassurance. In a church that I served long ago, a church other than this one, I had a dear colleague and friend who was one of the other associate pastors on the staff. I was in my 20s. She had been at a seminary longer than I'd been alive. This was in North Carolina, a more conservative setting. And eventually I learned that she had been the victim of older male 
church members treating her with a lack of respect. They belittled her. They inappropriately commented on her physical appearance. They told her that women shouldn't be ordained and wouldn't she be happier in some other line of work. But she never gave up. She never gave in to that intimidation, to the belittling. I was struck by how she spent the first hour every morning in her office, and our offices were side by side. How she spent every morning in her office, the first hour in prayer and reading her well-worn and well-marked Bible. And all these years later, I can still remember a particular verse that she had typed out and placed on the bulletin board right over her desk. It was from Genesis 28. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. It was her statement of faith, a sign of her believing in and leaning on the promise of God to be present and to be faithful amidst the discouragement, the doubt, the jerks. We served at that church together for three years. She taught me a great deal about what it means to be a minister of the gospel, a, a follower of Christ. And those words from Genesis are what I will remember from our friendship the most. God shows up with God's grace at the worst of times when things are at their lowest. In your moments of pain and loss and hardship, have you experienced that promise? Have you experienced God's presence, God's unwavering love? Or might that be a journey that you'll have at some point in, in the months or the years ahead? The Barcelona Olympics of 1992 provided one of track and field's most incredible moments. Britain's Derek Redmond had dreamed all of his life of winning a gold medal in the 400-meter race. And his dream was in sight that day as the gun sounded in the semifinals at Barcelona. He was running the race of his life and could see the finish line as he rounded the turn into the backstretch when suddenly he felt a sharp pain go up the back of his leg. He fell face first onto the track with a torn right hamstring. Sports Illustrated recorded the dramatic events that followed. As the medical attendants were approaching, Redmond fought to his feet. It was animal instinct, he would later say. He set out hopping in a crazed attempt to finish the race. And when he reached the final stretch, a large man in a t-shirt came running out of the stands, hurled aside a security guard, and ran to Redmond, embracing him. It was Jim Redmond, Derek's father. You don't have to do this, he told his weeping son. Yes, I do, said Derek. Well, said Jim then we're going to finish this together. And that's just what they did. Fighting off security staff, the son's head sometimes buried in his father's shoulder, they stayed in Derek's lane all the way to the end as the crowd gasped, then rose and 
howled with cheers, and then wept. Derek didn't walk away with the gold medal that day, but he walked away with an incredible memory of a father who, when he saw his son in pain, left his seat in the stands to help him finish the race. And that's what God does for us when we are experiencing pain and we're struggling to finish the race, we can be confident that we have a loving parent who won't let us do it alone. A parent who left his place in heaven to come alongside us in the person of Jesus Christ. The one who said, for I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, for most of us, life will not be an either-or proposition. It will not be binary. The question is not, are we the favored son or daughter, the person of position and privilege and blessing, or are we a foreign slave, so to speak, a person cast aside and who feels there is no future, no hope, no tomorrow? For most of us, our lives will have elements of both. The question is, will we have the eyes of faith to see God's faithfulness and love, God's presence amidst all of it? God's presence with us on the journey, finishing the race during the good and the bad, the mountaintops and the valleys. Will we have the faith to know that the words my friend put over her desk are true? Surely God is in this place. God is faithful, even though I did not know it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.